0: It is my great pleasure to be with you today. It was uh, over a month ago when, over the course of three weeks, God had begun to speak powerfully through First uh, and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. And there I, uh, a man called of God working in a camper store, had messages burning within my soul. And uh, I cried out one night, and I was like, Lord, why are you giving me this? Lord, what are you doing in my life? And the spirit of the Lord settled my soul. And it was that very next day that Brian uh, contacted me and asked me to fill in him for him this day. And so my dilemma was to select between four different passages that I knew God had burned in my soul for a purpose. The first thing that I would tell you is that I have a word from God from the life of a suffering servant, Job. And if you are here this morning, and you are in a hard providence, one which you did not design, one which you did not earn by right of rebellion or sin, and life has turned against you, and it seems like there's no hope, I have a word for you. I will not preach that sermon this morning, though I was very sorely tempted to do so. But if you will see me after this service, it will take me about ten minutes to read to you two sections of scriptures that I think God will use to minister to you in your life if you're that person or persons that are struggling. Because I have a sure and ready word for you. I promise. Uh, The Lord has equipped his word with that word. I have a question for you this morning uh, from the scripture. And my question would be this. Would God choose use a rebel. Would God choose to use a rebel? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He is high and lifted above us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are his ways beyond ours. is truly a holy and unique God. In the Psalms passage we heard read, the Lord said, just as the heavens are afar from the earth, so is the loving kindness that is spread out to those who fear him. So maybe we could ask the question, not only would God use a rebel, but would God use someone who does not fear Would God also spill this incredible favor on someone who had no respect for God? There's an interesting story that we find in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel was in a particular quandary. All the nations of the world had a king. Israel did not have a king. God had chosen to rule them through his law and through the judgment and the wisdom of judges who would rise up and fall depending on the uh, spirituality of the nation of Israel. And so here's a nation going through cycles of judges. And they cry out, oh, give us a king. Why can we not have a king? And, and uh, God comes to Samuel and said, Samuel, give him a king. And Samuel, the prophet, is torn. Oh, why do they want a king? And God said, you tell them if they have a king, here are all the terrible things he's going to do. He's going to make you pay federal income tax. He's going to take your children and send them to war. He's going to take your sons and your daughters and make them bakers. He's going to take your sons and make them servants. He's going to make your life very difficult. You don't want a king. But if you must have a king, I will give you a king. And the people said, give us a king. And Samuel's heart was rent. God looked at Samuel and he said, Samuel, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. Don't feel emotionally distraught, Samuel. Because they have not rejected you, my messenger. When they reject you, they have rejected me. I want you to remember that. Saul is found, he's the tallest of the tall, the most handsome of the handsome, the most impressive of the impressive. Saul is a king that's chosen by Samuel under the direction of God. And now... They anoint Saul king, and Saul, this striking figure of a man, would be an emblem of the nation. Actually, he would become a pitiful sight and a tragic failure within Israel. I want you to listen as I read a story to you. I'm going to read through the story, and I will go back and exegete it. Listen to the life of Saul. And then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people. Samuel had already uh, had a coronation, and Saul was already king when these words were spoken. The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set him against him on the way while he was coming up, Out of the land of Egypt. Now go, strike Amalek, and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him. Put to death both man and woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. And Saul summoned the people and numbered them. In Talim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And so Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Paul and the people, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and oxen and fatling of lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised, and everything. Worthless that they were utterly destroyed. God issues a command through his prophet Samuel. Samuel the obedient prophet of God. Shunned by a nation. Who disparaged and disrespected the role of God's prophet. Comes to the king that he himself had selected under the direction of God. And had... Lifted up to be king over Israel. And Samuel comes to this king. He speaks a word to him. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the Lord establishing clear, undisputed communication between his prophet and his servant. You see, when there is an authority in your life, When there's an authority in your life, whether it be the government, a magistrate, your boss at work, your parents, kids at home, someone whom God has placed headship over in your life, a husband in a home over the family, an employer over an employee, someone that God has specifically selected to give a privileged position of influence, to give instruction and direction... So Samuel would be to Saul. And I want you to notice the clear, undisputed communication. A good leader, a good boss, a good parent, a good manager, a good pastor will give to those under his care clear, undeniable direction and instruction. And if you're a supervisor or a manager... If you have a position as a husband in a home, if you're a government official elected to office, then you need to offer clear communication so there is no misunderstanding about your expectation. God would speak to Samuel, and Samuel would go to Saul and give him undisputed, clear, undeniable instructions about what he is to do. There's two ways that he goes about doing this. Number one... He will affirm his position as God's man. And number two, he will direct the servant of God. Notice, in the scripture he says this, Then Samuel said to Saul, This is not God directly speaking to the king Saul. No, God does not always directly speak to us. His word can come through his written word. His word can come through a government. His word can come through the person in our employment that we're underneath, His Word can come through someone in a spiritual position that He is anointed over us. And in this case, God, for some reason, chooses not to speak directly to Saul, but He chooses to speak to Saul through His servant Samuel. On the job, your boss represents authority in your life. So He's speaking. Scripture in New Testament is clear. Work unto your employees as unto the Lord, not pilfering or with eye service, but with sincerity of heart, as unto the Lord Jesus himself. The person God has put in your life, young people, your parents, teenagers, your mom and dad, they represent the spokesperson of God. Now, if they oppose the word of God, or they're immoral, reprobate, or they're asking you to murder somebody, or be sexually crude, no, that you don't obey them then. Generally, when a person in authority speaks, they represent the very Word of God into your life. And we Americans don't like authority. We live in North Mississippi. I mean, our football team is called the Rebels. We have a a real problem with authority. You go all over the world, other countries work in groups, and, and they like to be involved in group activities, and they don't make individual decisions, and Americans are notorious for making individual decisions. So we have an issue in America with, with rebellion. And I believe that this passage will apply to us so clearly. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people. The first thing that the prophet did is remind the king that God had anointed him, Samuel, and that Samuel had the right to speak in his life because he was the one that God used to call him into a position of service. So the first thing he did is the Lord, he reminded him that the messenger was established by God. The second thing he did is to command him to listen to his words. Notice how Samuel tells the king of Israel, Now therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Because God placed him in a position of authority. Now because of that, listen to the words of the Lord. And I want you to see the message that came from the Lord. First of all, we're going to look at the motivation. A good, a good leader will always tell the person that's that's underneath him why he's going to do these things, when and where and how it will happen. So notice, the Lord. The, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he sent himself against him on the way, from where he's coming from, Israel, from Egypt. So the what is there's going to be punishment. That's the big picture. I will punish Amalek. So somebody will give you a big picture. Your parents' kids will give you a big picture. They'll tell you generally what they want you to do. If you're on the job, you're going to get a big picture of how the company is going, what direction it's moving in. If you're in church or you're on staff, you're going to get a big picture of the pastor about what your primary role or job is. But not only is there a big picture, not only a what, Is going to happen. The punishment. But there's a why. It's going to be done because they attempted to disrupt the people of God coming out of Egypt to go to Canaan to have the promised land. So the why is because of how that person had tried to impede the plan of God. And the when and the where was coming out of Egypt into Israel. So in this clear communication given to the one under authority, spoken through by the prophet, there is a what, why, a when, and a where. So parents... When you're raising your kids, don't always just give commands, though the command is good enough for a child to obey. But a wise leader will explain the when, where, the why, and the how when it is appropriate. Sometimes a child doesn't need to know that. Sometimes a teenager needs to learn how to obey simply for obedience sake. But generally wisdom in good communication is not just given instructions and directions, but given the motivation of why those things should be done. Then there's a battle plan that's given. In the Scripture, he says, number one, strike Amalek. Number two, destroy all that he has. In other words, all the property and all the possessions that are in the entire city, destroy them, burn them. They are to be no more. Very clear, precise instructions. Number three, do not spare him, i.e., the king, Amalek, Agag. Don't let Agag live. Why? Because he can reproduce and then his sons and daughters would claim heir to the throne and there be ongoing battles for years and years to go. You never let the king live. You kill the bloodline of the enemy. And then fourth, the shocking truth that God gave, utter destruction. The men, the women, the children, every kind of living, breathing animal and livestock is to be destroyed. God had determined that this enemy was to be totally eradicated, never, ever to be a plague against Israel again. Very, very clear destructions. Well, let's move on from the clear communication and let's look at the response of the recipient. Let's look at what does Saul do when he's been commanded. Verse 4. And then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in uh, Talim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. First note I would make is generally in the Old Testament when a king numbers an army, There's disappointment from God or there's judgment from God because it reveals that the man put in a position to lead does not have the respect of God. He is a man of fear and not faith. Many times kings are judged because they numbered armies. It shows that they're putting their faith not in the hand and the power of a sovereign God but in the strength and size of their army and chariots. First bad move by the part of Saul. Second, Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul did not want a head-on collision. He wanted to do something covert. He was a coward. He was a fearful king. Not a bad tactic, not unholy, not unwise, but it does reveal something about who he is. The next thing he does, Saul said to the Kenites, Go and depart. You've helped us in the past. I don't want to have to destroy you. He lowered the numbers of the enemy under the guise of trying to help the innocent. A good thing done, a wise thing done, but also stacking the odds in his favor—less people to fight, therefore a good excuse to get rid of them. So he has he has levied the position into a favorable, most favorable statistical situation. He knows his numbers. He gets the Kenites out of the city. He sets an ambush. So this is a cowardly, plotting uh, king using every tactic and strategy within his power to generate a, a victory which telegraphs the fact that he does not understand the magnitude or the nature of the sovereignty of God. And Sometimes when our boss or our parents tell us to do something, we try to help them out by adding other things to the task than acting as if it was part of the command. So, the end result in verse 7, what happens? So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Halavah, as far as sure which is east of Egypt. So, there it is, the big picture. Grandiose victory. Awesome victory for the nation of Israel. Total defeat, absolute domination. The king can do anything he wants to do with the city and the people. So now the question is, what will the king do? Look with me, if you would, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 8. First Samuel 15, 8, and the scripture says, And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Red flag, ding, 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 ding. 1 Samuel 15, 8. Agag is captured alive. What had God said to do? Would God use a rebel? Would God choose to use a rebel? Here, rather than killing the king instantly, Agag is captured alive. We'll answer the question of why later in the message. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So all. Oh, he saves the king, but every living soul, man, woman, boy, girl, every person alive is utterly destroyed by the sword. Is that what God commanded? Absolutely. But what was his motivation? It was not the motivation that he should have had. And we'll see this in the following verse. In verse 9, then Saul and the people... Spared Agag. Look at this. And the best of the sheep. Well, there was nobody alive to fight for them. And the best of the oxen. And the fatling calves. And the lambs. And as a matter of fact, all that was good was spared. Because he was not willing to destroy them utterly. Here the king makes a strategic decision. He has an incredible, impressive victory on the battlefield. The hand of God has given him great favor. He's killed every single person that owned every piece of property in all the land. And there's all this cattle and all the sheep. There's all the wealth of this nation. They have incredible millions upon millions, maybe billions of dollars worth of assets and goods. And there he is in his army. And they're looking around. And he knows what the word of the Lord has said. He knows what old Samuel, the crusty old prophet has said. But that sure is a lot of money. I mean, we could divide this up by every soldier that fought in this battle and everybody would be well off the rest of his life and so would his children and his children's children. And so rather than listen to the old prophet who gave him the word of God, the best of everything was spared. Oh, but look, there was some obedience. Look at this obedience in the verse 9. But everything that was despised and everything that was worthless, they utterly destroyed. So we'll obey when it's something we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. But if it's not what we want to do, if it's not how we want to do it, if it's not when we want to do it, now we won't, not now, let's take them home with us. Instead of, instead of being on the battlefield doing business, let's just, let's take it all home. Well, we can make our decision at home. We can do that at home. We can we kill them later. We can offer sacrifices in the temple. Hey, there's a good excuse. These are sacrifices to the Lord. Yeah, that'll work. And so they dragged this home. Saul did what he wanted, he did it when he wanted, he did it how he wanted, and he would get the job done his way. He got the big picture done as conveniently as possible in a way that was most beneficial to him and his family. Forget what God said. Forget what the messenger of God that he was under the authority of had said. We'll get the big thing done, but let's do it our way in our time the way we want to do it, and let's benefit from it. Now I want you to look at the Lord's prophet when he's informed. How does he react? Verse 10, And then the word of the Lord came to Saul, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king. I regret I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. How does God react? Regret, dread. I've been betrayed. The man that I chose has accomplished my will, his way, and his time. Where and how he wanted to do it. In other words, he has total disregard for me. Not only for me, for the man I anointed to put in his life, to give him direction and instruction. So let's see how how do you think Samuel responded? Did he blow up mad? Was he fuming, stomping around? No, look. And Samuel was distressed. Samuel's insides turned because he knew the king's heart had become corrupt. So he emotionally carried the weight of this man under his direction that had lost sight of obedience and submission and humility under the word of God, the authority in his life. And not only was he distressed, but Samuel cried out to the Lord, look at this, all night. Man, when you've got somebody under your authority on the job and you're a supervisor or a manager and they're a rebel and they don't do things the right way, they don't follow through, it's a vexing, perplexing thing to do. Even where I've been in some churches that run three and five thousand people, we've had staff people sometimes 10, 15, you know, 40 staff people. And when you have a staff person who's doing their own thing their own way, only worrying about the big picture, you know, you have a rebel. It's a hard thing to deal with, it's vexing. You'll fast and pray because it reveals something about the person far more disastrous than simple disobedience. They've got a total disrespect for authority, for the position they placed in, and don't understand that God anoints authority through His sovereign hand, and basically you have a rebel working on the job. I work in a camper dealership. I've got two great managers, uh, Larry and uh, Michael. And they wouldn't ask me to do anything they wouldn't do themselves, and I love that about them. But can I confess to you and tell you, I don't want to have to do everything they tell me to do. Larry's been there a long time. Michael's been there forever. And the only thing I can do is say, God, put me here. These men are in a position of authority. And I have the right to go privately like Daniel did in the book of Daniel to appeal to my authority. But if they tell me what to do, then if I stay there as their employee, I am obligated by God himself to do what they've told me to do. Now, I've been in jobs where my managers and supervisors were jerks and morons, just being frank with you. And it was very, very hard to respond to somebody who was so uh, naive and stupid at times. But when I was young, my dad taught me a lesson. If somebody's in a position of leadership, they've earned the right to fail. Don't try to succeed without them knowing why they did. Because if they don't understand why it worked, they'll make the same mistake on a bigger level at another time. Let them fail. Appeal to them. Tell them privately what you think. If they say no, do what they say and let it fail. Be under authority. Saul was not trying to save the kingdom. That was not his noble motive. He was trying to be wealthy, and he was trying to be loved by the people by giving them what they wanted. When a king makes a decision based upon... His family. He makes, all through Scripture, there's terrible times that kings make bad decisions because of family members. Probably the worst is when uh, King Ahab had a wife, Jezebel, and she needled him to death about Naboth's vineyard until finally they made a stupid decision. And gentlemen, I'm sorry, but your wife and your children cannot dictate what you do on your job, how often you do it, and where you do it. God has placed you there. Ladies, if you're in a position working a job and you're not at home, God has placed you there. And you have responsibility to your your employer to do the things that they've asked you to do, as inconvenient as it might be. He had the same problem. Samuel rose early in the morning. Let's see how Samuel responds. What does Samuel think now that that he's done it? Samuel rose rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel... And behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and proceeded down to Gilgal. The most most pitifully sad thing I find in this entire series of passages is this one fact. Ladies and gentlemen, Samuel knew God so little and he was so arrogant and such a rebel that he actually believed, he honestly believed that God would be pleased. He really did. He knew very little of God. Not only that, but he was proud of himself. Not only was he proud of himself, but he was publicly making himself a spectacle so that he did something only one other king that I remember in all of Scripture did. He built a monument to himself within Israel. Can you imagine? A king building a monument to himself, he built it there for his own glory. Oh my, he did not know God very well. Can I tell you sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, I think God through this passage has reprimanded me, his servant, because there's times in ministry when I have built monuments to myself. Just being transparent, no reason to hide it, God knows it. Now, was it a building I built? No. Was it something physical? No. There's things that God has done in my life that I have boasted in that God has reminded me. Son, you're walking real close to that edge of being Saul. You're taking too much glory. It's okay to be excited about being in the middle of what I'm doing, but you're starting to take ownership. It's because I'm not in a church, it's because I don't have a position, it's because I'm not in leadership. And trying to scrap and survive and have my self-esteem and dignity. I start to boast in the things that God's done in the past to give me meaning. When the fact that I'm loved by God and I'm His child and He loves me is enough for me. That I know He's called me and I don't have to live in the past. Sufficient for me to live into. Have you all ever done that? You run into a dry spot in your life and you have to live off the past. Man, I saw this in this passage, made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I got on my face before God. God, I don't want to build. You know, the only other king that I can find that did that? The rebel king Absalom who built his own kingdom, ran his own father out of the town. And he built a monument too. So basically, you got David after God's own heart, a sinner with Bathsheba and a murderer. But he still loved God because he feared and respected him. But on both sides, you've got terrible kings, Saul and Absalom, bookends, big monuments who built glory to themselves, and God rejected either. There are a lot of kings that were compromised. A lot of kings didn't clean out the Asherah and the Baal. A lot of kings were called godly kings and righteous men, but didn't totally purify their life or their city, and God still used them. But you know what? God didn't use Saul anymore, and he didn't use Absalom anymore because God will not tolerate a man or a woman who builds a monument for themselves. That is a dangerous place to be. Dangerous. Dangerous place to be. Set up a monument for himself and turned and proceeded to go down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. So here's Samuel, the prophet, coming to Saul. And Saul said to him, look at how shameless Saul is. It's mind-boggling. He says, blessed are you of the Lord, Samuel. I have carried out the command of the Lord. woo I did it, I did it, I did it. All of his focus is on I. None of his focus is on God. He's more concerned with what he did for God than what God did for him. And there is this problem. Hear me again. He's more concerned with what he's done for God than what God has done for him. Failed to realize God gave him the victory. There's two things he does. This little slimy serpent, low-life devil that he is. Number one, he flatters the prophet. Blessed are you, old man of God, Samuel. You're the bomb diggity. He hadn't listened to Samuel. He had no respect for Samuel. That's just crass flattery garbage. What a sorry excuse of a king he is. You don't flatter people on the job to get your way or impress them, do you? You're not Saul, are you? Blessed are you of the Lord. Woo! And I've carried out the command of the Lord. Yea, me. This king has a real problem. He has a real problem. Samuel cracks me up, and Samuel looked at him and said, Then what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen? Ma, 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 you got. You know, millions of livestock coming in. I've obeyed the Lord God. Yea, me. The prophet of God is looking around. Oh, really? What is the bleeding of the sheep in my ear? Saul stopped. He paused. They brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Saul saying, oh, it was a people's idea. They made me do it. They made me do it. Yeah, right. He's the king. They didn't make him do it, I assure you. They saved the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we utterly destroyed. What a lie. Not only was he flattering, but he's just a liar. He had no intention of doing that. And Samuel said to Saul, Wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. So let's look at the Lord's response. Verse 17. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, and you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, that the Lord anointed you king over Israel? In other words, he was this little, though he was a tall, handsome guy, he had a low self-esteem and he had an inferiority complex from the beginning. And God chose him out to use him anyway. God doesn't need greatness. God doesn't need strength. God doesn't need wisdom. God can use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The base things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. Paul said, talking to the church, Paul did, God didn't have to choose a big, handsome guy. As a matter of fact, normally he doesn't. But he did with Saul. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. He's looking at the big picture again. He's a big picture guy, not concerned with obedience. He's trying to make a big splash, a big impression. And went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and had brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekites. I've I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites, everybody else. There's, There's Agag in chains. But the people took some of the spoil and the sheep and the choicest things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. It's one of the most powerful verses in all Scripture. And then Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Here he's got all the sheep and oxen, which if he wanted to, he could have sacrificed, but they probably were not going to do that. They would have sacrificed some, I'm sure, but they would have made off with a vast majority of them. And Samuel says, Would it not have been better to just obey God than to create some big impressive worship service to get his attention? And so I guess the the question would be which is more desirable, spectacular worship or simple obedience? And there is the question Can God use a rebel? Can a man with a rebel's heart lead a Christian home? Can a man with a rebel's heart have impact on the job? Can a man with a rebel's heart serve in a church? Can a man with a rebel's heart be a governor or a president? We're living in a day where as Americans, we're looking for a big splash. We're wanting to be, make a big splash. We're looking my headlines and And we're wanting to have uh, little clips on the news. We're wanting character and morality and integrity don't matter. It's how impressive, how handsome, how eloquent, how impressive can a man be. And we have lost our way as a nation, as a culture, as a civilization. Our government's in trouble. Our churches are in trouble. Our families are in trouble because we're trying to create images with brand names and with job titles rather than with character, with service, obedience, and love. So my question is, can God use a rebel? Which is better, spectacular worship or simple obedience? What would have been better? For the man of God to have listened to the person God put in his life to give him instruction or directions? Or would it be better for Saul just to go and try to create the best worship and impress everybody and think that was good enough for God? And, and what are you doing? How are you living your life? How, listen, how am I living my life? That's a big question. How is Wade living his life? Am I living to impress men or am I living to impress God? And there, ladies and gentlemen, is the question you have to ask yourself. Are you under authority? Are you being compliant? Are you humble? Are you following through? Are you paying attention to the details are you giving your employer the, the time they deserve, the effort they deserve? Are you where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do, teenager? Are you really doing what your mom and dad ask you? Are you really doing your own homework and taking your own test? Or are you a rebel? You just want to find a way to get by and survive to the next day and have fun with the people around you. Are you really concerned about a God that is holy? Holy, holy. Here comes one of the most terrifying messages in Scripture. When I think there's rebellion in my heart, this verse just makes me quake and quiver and be terrified in the presence of God. Verse 23, For rebellion, not doing what you're told, rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft. So a rebel is nothing more than than a sorcerer or a witch. And you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. How does that work? Well, if somebody has an incantation or a spell or a curse, they're trying to accomplish something outside of the physical normal life in order to get their way that they could not otherwise get, right? And what does a rebel in school or on the job or in church or in government or or in business do? They're trying to circumvent what's expected of them, demanded, anticipated, and they're trying to get what they want another way that's an easier, quicker pass. It's microwave obedience. Instantaneous gratification without paying the price to put in the time, do the due diligence, the study, the work, the research, the sales calls, the prayer, whatever it may be in your life. It's a shortcut. It's when we take shortcuts. We view the person as a position of authority God put there as the enemy and not the handmaiden of God to bring about character in our life. Look at the next one. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. What's insubordination? Insubordination It's when you won't be subordinate, when you won't be underneath, when you won't follow through and listen to the person over you. Insubordination is like idolatry. It's another God because you have set yourself up as your own idol, and it's iniquity. Iniquity is a Hebrew word for twisted, bent, wrong. And now let's finally look at, we've seen the reaction of the prophet, we've seen the reaction of the king, we've seen the reaction of the people. Let's look at the reaction of God. The end of verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He, God, has rejected you from being king. I would ask the question. Can God use a rebel? Will God use a man or a woman with a rebel's heart? And this passage says. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. And the answer is no. The answer is no. And Saul said to Samuel. I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord. Your, your words because I feared the people. And listened to their voice. When you and I listen to people in our family or co-workers or the community, when a politician listens to the majority of people rather than to the Lord God and His justice and righteousness, when we let our wife or our husband influence how and when we do our jobs, He said, I listen to the voice of the people. I've sinned. I've sinned. Verse 25, Now therefore... Please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. He was not sincere. You know what he was afraid of? He'd go back to to the capital city looking like a failure. Oh, Samuel, go with me so I still look good in the eyes of the people. Don't let me go back looking like a public failure. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and he tore it. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Wow. And though he would not lose his kingship immediately, God in the next chapter moves his anointing from Saul to David. But it takes 12 years for that change to occur. Physically. And also the glory of Israel would not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he would change his mind. And then he said, I've sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of the people. Look at that. He's still concerned about the people. Honor me before the elders of the people and before Israel. Go back with me that I may worship the Lord. Look at this. Your God. Samuel, the truth comes out. Saul looked at Samuel and said, Let me go back with me so I can worship the Lord, your God. Not the Lord my God, not the Lord our God, but the word Lord or reigning Master, one who has oversight and control. Saul honestly spoke the truth. Let you go back with me so... I can worship your God. Would God use a rebel? What upset the Lord so much about Saul that he would tear the kingdom from him? Other kings had radical failures. David slept with Bathsheba, murdered his uh, commander-in-chief, Uriah the Hittite, his next-door neighbor, a man of great renown. Why did God not reject David is king. Why did he just say the sword won't depart from your house and your child's going to die? What's the difference? Within all these kings that were wicked and bad that got the reign? but Saul, God removed his favor from him. He was a rebel. He disrespected the authority in his life and he built a monument to himself. And I fear that building monuments is what separated him from others. So Samuel went back following Saul and the... Saul worshipped the Lord, and Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Notice this is Samuel. Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag thinks he's good because of Saul, but he's walking up to God's man Samuel, and Samuel don't play. Agag came up to Samuel cheerfully, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel himself hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Samuel finished what Saul started. And then Samuel went to Ramah. And Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And y'all listen to this verse. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. Twelve years later, for Sam, why did Samuel never go back into Saul's presence? Hear the answer. Because Samuel grieved over Saul. He had a hurt heart for twelve years because he had been betrayed. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king of Israel. Wow. As are the heavens are. From the earth, so is the loving kindness of God toward those who fear Him. It was on the screen in a song we sing. Saul's problem is that he did not fear God. He had no fear or reverence for God. It was all about, God has chosen me, I'm king, woohoo, I'm a leader. I'm. But it's not just good enough to have the favor of God. We need to have a healthy fear of God because any child of God that's not disciplined, according to the text, is a bastard child, a child that doesn't belong. If there's a child that can be a rebel and God does not bring discipline on that child, the book of Hebrews proclaims that that child is no child of God. They have a fake faith. And the fact there's no discipline in their life proves that They have no father. For just a minute today, I want to ask you the question which I had to ask myself, and I have found within my heart that there's a heart of a rebel. We all have a sin nature. I found within my heart that I'm starting to cling to build monuments, and I'm just being transparent with you. And you need to be equally as transparent with yourself. Are you under authority? Do you disrespect, cut corners, Are you a wife who despises your husband and hates any direction? Are you a child that despises your parents and does just enough to get by? At school, do you not try your best and all you want to do is just enough not to create discipline and havoc? Or are you earnestly and sincerely, without just eye service, serving the one that God has put you in a relationship with for His sake to do His job? Are you on staff here and struggling with your position, obedience, direction? Are you in a position as a teacher and you're taking shortcuts to do as little as possible to to lead your small group? And I know you'll immediately say, oh, I need to quit my small group. No, you just need to love God and serve. You don't need to quit. That's what we all do is take the cheap way out. No. If you're a child Try to do your best, perform, take the assets God's given you, kids, and become who God intended you to be. Develop your skills in school. Study, learn, grow, pray, live in the Word. Live in the, wor- the Word, not in the world. And on the job, be broken and obedient. and Try to perform at the highest of your ability. No matter what the labor union around you threatens you to do because you work hard and they don't, maybe they do, I don't know. But will you be who God truly wants you to be? And I'm going to ask you a question. Will God use a rebel? Will God use me if I'm a rebel? And the answer is no. There's no place for me as a rebel to be used by God. And there's no place to use. You may need to lay some attitudes down at this altar. You may need to lay some history down in this altar. You may need to ask forgiveness. You may need to turn to your mom and dad kids. And not even come here. Just go to your mom and dad grab their hand. And when you grab your parents' hand, they know that you're saying, I'm all in. I love you. I'm going to obey you. I trust you. I'm not going to reject who God's put in my life. Wife, you may be resentful toward your husband because God put him there as a head and you don't like headship. And you just need to reach over and grab his hand and say, I know God put you here for me, and I may not like it. And you may not even be right. But if God's granted you leadership, I will not be Saul. I will listen to Samuel, even if I don't trust him. You may need to, to just fall before God and say, "Boy, well, Lord, I didn't know I was in this condition. You may be here and be lost, and you're nothing but a rebel. And you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus. You've never let the blood on His cross pay for your sin. That I've got good news for you. Right now, you can stop being a rebel. The blood He spilled on Calvary will pay for your sin. It will give you a bypass from, from hell to heaven whenever you meet your Maker. But even better than that, right in the here and now, you can have joy, understanding of His Word, the capacity with the fullness of the Spirit to walk in obedience and to have joy in your life. And better than that, you will know how to lead your family in the future because you are a child of God with a direct connection to the heart of God who loves you and died for you. Today may be the day day of salvation. You come forward up front and uh, let us know that you want to accept Christ and you can have Him today. Here's my question for you. Will God use a rebel? And the answer is no. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work. God, you've used this text in my life to tear through the layers that are hidden within me and expose the foul that's embarrassing and humiliating, God. But what can I do, Lord, but say that uh, I've harbored this, and, Lord, I'm, I'm releasing it before you. And, God, I think there's men and women, boys and girls here right now that are in the same place. And, Lord Jesus, they need to let go, and they need to be broken before you. God, bring us all to a sense of reverence and reality in the heavenly places. Let us understand that, that we don't want to be solved. He was king ten, 12 more years with no anointing and no power. And God, that is a miserable place for a, a man or a woman to be or a child to be, to have a job to do and a role but have no joy in it. Oh God, break us away from that and allow us to have your joy, your light, and your life